Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. So Zane, who's your, who's your SEC, who's your closest SEC affiliation? My, well, my closest SEC affiliation is my son with A&M. Okay. So. We've got a couple of those. That would be the team that beat both Alabama teams this past year. <laughs> wow. A burn from Zane. All right. Well, welcome to the Sermon Talkback, uh, our Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback, where we take some time to, you know, think through the sermon from yesterday, from Sunday, and talk about maybe some other questions that we couldn't quite get to in, in on Sunday. Um, we're here. This is, I'm Jeremy Brooks, and I'm here with two special guests. One's familiar. His name is Jason Dees. He's a pastor at our church. Jason, you want you want to say anything? Sermon Talk Back Live. Sermon Talk Back Live. I mean, so we're we're joined. Not it's not just us here, Jimmy. No, like it's not. we have all of these friends here. Yeah. So let, let, can we can we let them hear it from the gallery real quick? All Let's right. see if we can pick it up. Let's see. <laughs> all right. All right. The Sermon Talk Back Live. So um, this is the first ever. Talk I know. Back I think Live. we should do this. I think this is a good idea. I think this is kind of fun. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I am glad to be sitting in and having this conversation with, and I'm just, I'm not going to say this, I'm not saying this to blow smoke or anything like that, Jeremy, a guy that I consider one of the finest missiologists and one of the most faithful missionaries that I've ever met. So I'm very grateful for the third less familiar person. And I'll let you introduce yeah, him. Yeah, that's right. Our third less familiar, but maybe a little bit familiar uh, to some of us who've been around Christ covenant for a while. Um, we've got Zane Pratt with the International Mission Board with us. He, like Jason said, I mean, he is a missiologist. People learn their missiology from Zane, um, whether they're with the IMB or not. He's he's a he's an author. He's a speaker. Um, he's doing a lot for the Great Commission, and I'm really grateful that he's going to help us think through the mission of God a little more pointedly, even in this talkback. He did a great job yesterday uh, preaching from Genesis 12 and uh, just the, the call of God upon Abram's life and how that's carried through um, into the New Testament, into the very life of Jesus and in the commission that Jesus has given um, to his disciples and certainly um, for our lives today. So we're going we're gonna to kick off there. Um, before we get started, though, Jason, any, any particular things from yesterday's sermon that, that did stand out to you? Oh, that's a great. I mean, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot uh, in it's just the nature of the text is that the fulfillment of the blessing, like how would this blessing come? Um, and how is the blessing ultimately realized? And there was a point where Zane said something like, um, I think he was giving responses and he was like, you should think about how amazing or how complex or how big this plan of God really is. 
And it really is an amazing thing to think about, um, just the meticulous sovereignty of God that this man of Ur uh, that lived 4,000 years ago um, is intricately connected to my life today, mm. uh, but will also be connected to, I would just say, the glorious revelation of Christ's salvation in the coming ages. Um, and that God has just been weaving together this kind of massive story ultimately fulfilled in Christ and, or uh, culminated in Christ um, that, that even has a coming fulfillment in terms of, of how we actually see it realized. Mm. Um, so it was just, it was a lot for me to think about um, and in, in such a beautiful way. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of chewing on just mm-hmm. that idea. We talked a little bit this morning, sometimes... I have such a big view of my own life Hmm. and of my own capacities that I forget that I'm just a sheep in the massive pasture of God Mm -hmm. and he's orchestrating and ordaining. And and what my call is, is just to be faithful where I am. And one day as I am that I can be a part of this beautiful, massive picture that God is putting together that will only be known Mm -hmm. fully and rightly Mm -hmm. uh, in the new heavens, new earth. That's so so that, that it's helped me to think about those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to be reminded of our size. Yeah. And yet that God still has an integral role for us to play in his story. It's just incredible. Um, well, well, Zane, we do want to let you speak a lot today. Um, we have questions for you. Um, we've got questions that people are sending us. And so one of the one of the way one of the things that you do really well and that you did a little bit yesterday, and I think it would be great for us to to dig in even a little more as you gave us some definitions of mm. the nations of what a missionary is. So my, my first question for you um, is, is who are the nations and what is the purpose of the IMB? Because I feel like those two things do go together. So what comes to your mind as you ponder that further? Well, pretty much from Genesis 10 on, we see God uh, orchestrating this, this complex mosaic of, uh, of the nations which are people groups who have distinct identities. And, and that identity can be any number of things. It can be language, it can be culture, it can be religion, it can be uh, geography. But they're a group of people who think of themselves as us as opposed to them. Hmm. Uh, one example I, I use, the, the land of Canaan is quite small, actually. It's smaller than most US states. And yet the lists of nations there, Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Jebusites, all of these people groups were distinct nations in that small geography. And, and to put it in modern terms, you think of a place like uh, Afghanistan, which is about the size of the state of Texas, but there are 52 different languages spoken in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so if we are to think about uh, how God intends to get the gospel out, He is using that people group mosaic as the framework in which he does it. Hmm. So when we think about the IMB, we we actually have articulated that our purpose is to serve Southern Baptists to fulfill the Great Commission of making disciples of every nation. Hmm. And just breaking that down, we say we exist to serve Southern Baptists because we are convinced that the Great Commission belongs to churches and that we don't have an independent existence. It's not like we're the mission force and the churches just sort of serve us. Instead, 
we serve the churches mm -hmm. in, in, as a tool for them to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the Great Commission, we see it having um, an emphasis on making disciples. We see it having an, an emphasis on all nations, all people groups, and we see it have an emphasis to the ends of the earth. So that's what we do, and we do it by serving churches to enable them to do that. Uh, we really do have a, a, a laser focus on sharing the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, and training leaders mm -hmm. um, everywhere we go. A lot of other good things you can do, that's what we focus on. Hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, the idea of nation, like when you read that, you know, just... The reason why we ask this is because that's not just the way that we use that right. word in normal conversation. Like when I say a nation, you're probably thinking the United States, Russia, right. China. And so I just think that that's a helpful distinction. Well, and I even heard one time, like, I think there's, there's like 191 different nations, like geopolitical nations. Something yeah, it's, like it's, it's around 200. It varies from yeah. time to time. Well, I mean, I heard like Rick Warren one time saying like a missionary from their church had been to every nation, but that's mm. what he was talking about. Right. right. And so it's like, oh, the Great Commission's easy. But it's <laughs> actually if you really start thinking about like it in this idea of ethne, which is, is really more true to in the biblical language that right. it's referring to or how the world would have been understood and really how the world is like still understood by most people on Earth. Right. As Americans, we understand because we're such a melting pot. Um, and yeah. we have such a, it's, it's actually becoming more it, in a post like cold war America, it's becoming easier to understand like how different people view the world in a very, there's not as strong of a united, uh, kind of national narrative as there has been maybe in the past mm -hmm. in America. Um, and so it's, it's easier to understand how like all, all these different types of people and how they think the same kind of can yeah. live in small geographic areas that's very present in a city, you know, mm, right. we, we almost, exp there's almost different ethnes, if you will, yes, in are. the city of Atlanta, um, in terms of how people kind of understand, interpret themselves and the world around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, you know, somewhere varies around 200 geopolitical nations on earth. Best as we can tell, there's around 11,000 biblical nations, um, mm -hmm. ethno-linguistic groups in the world. Um, and of those 11,000, um, about 6,000 fall in the unreached category in terms of the gospel. Hmm. And, you know, population size of a nation mm -hmm. can be a variety of things. It could be yes. 30 people, 100 people, 2 million people, 127 million people, right? Correct. And so do you have any numbers on like, so when you say, how many people groups did you, how many nations? Oh, about 11,000. About 11,000 nations. Right. What does that translate to in terms of people, like numbers of people? Well, there's, there's about 7.6 billion people in the world. Uh, probably the largest single people group, and I'm, I may be wrong in this, but I'm fairly sure it would be the Han Chinese, in which case you have hundreds of millions of people who fall in that, in that category. And yeah, there are some that, that are smaller. You, you get to the point where it's kind of silly to think of it as a people group. It's more like it's a family. Mm -hmm. um, and when, when we think strategically about it, we sort of have started with the bigger ones and are working our way down in terms of getting the gospel to them. But uh, you can have people groups with merely hundreds of people in them. Uh, those are not generally the ones that we're sending workers to. Mm -hmm. uh, we're sending workers to the ones that have hundreds of thousands or millions. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, so uh, one of the things you also talked about yesterday was that the gospel itself 
uh, has in in it this mm-hmm. call to uh, blessing all the families of the earth. You know, Galatians three referred back to this, and you said, therefore, every follower of Christ, every disciple is called into this mission mm-hmm. in some way. Like that's part of what it means to follow Jesus is to follow him in the mission that he is carrying out. And so first of all, and if that mission is to make disciples, then first of all, what is a disciple? How does the IMB define what a disciple is? What, what do you think? That's a great question. I, I think we <coughs> typically view disciple sort of like student and we've regarded discipleship as you acquire a certain amount of information. So that would be information-based discipleship. But when you look at it biblically, it's really different. I mean, the whole pattern of teaching was different. Um, you didn't have classrooms. You didn't have videos and recorded lectures. Um, a disciple was someone who attached himself to a teacher. And as we see with Jesus and his disciples, who literally would go everywhere with the teacher, um, And this wasn't just true of Jesus, it was true of other rabbis, it was true of Greek philosophers. Uh, The teacher would often itinerate because the only way anybody was ever going to hear him was in person. Uh, And the the disciples would hear him give probably pretty much the same information, the same lecture or sermon each place. But then they also had all this time alone with him uh, in between. They had a chance to ask follow-up questions, they heard additional teaching. And the expectation was that not only would they thoroughly embrace the teacher's teaching, they would also embrace the teacher's life. Mm -hmm. So that it was actually said in the ancient world that you could tell whom someone had studied under just by watching them because they'd pick up the mannerisms and the figures of speech. So that the disciple came to resemble the teacher and would remind people of the teachers like they were being transformed into the image of the teacher. Mm. And so when we define discipleship, it is the transformation of all of life into the image of Christ. It's someone who in following Christ has said, I want all my life to be like him, to accurately reflect him. And just to be as, as all embracing as it, can, as it can be, we actually sort of spell that out in saying that a disciple is someone with a transformed heart, by which we mean conversion, and conversion is the start of discipleship. But in addition, they have a transformed mind as their whole way of thinking is reshaped by scripture. Uh, They have transformed affections as they come to care about, love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Uh, They have uh, transformed will as they come to obey the things that God has told them to do. They have transformed relationships because the supreme command is love God and love your neighbor. And they have a transformed purpose in life. Hmm. And that is really one of the key ones that I mentioned yesterday. Um, When someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, they are no longer living for themselves. And they are no longer living for the things that everybody around us lives for. Uh, Instead, they're living for the praise and glory of God and the advance of his agenda in the world. Hmm. So that's what a disciple is. Every area of life being made to be like Jesus and in the process also being equipped to do the work of Jesus in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's interesting about Jesus is that he didn't go to every nation. Um, and I, I'm reminded of the sending aspect of Jesus, too, as you're talking about how we're to, mm-hmm. to be like him. You know, he, he sent his disciples out into the world. And so even as a church, we're called to <coughs> reflect Jesus in that sense, that we are sending 
uh, us out. <laughs> We're sending our church out mm-hmm. in the way that he has sent his disciples out. Mm-hmm. And it kind of follows, I mean, I think God's initial design pattern. Um, God didn't create multiple atoms, right? He created one man who was to multiply and fill the earth, Mm -hmm. right? And in a sense, that is the exact same thing that the new Adam Mm -hmm. has done. He has come as one man who's given us a doorway to fellowship with God, by which we know God, transformed heart, mind, relationships, purpose, etc. Everything Zane just said, <clears throat> that now we, born in Christ, are filling the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it struck me even earlier as you were just talking about all the different people groups. You know how amazing and different is Christianity that it can do that. It, yes. It's now filling the earth in every ethne, right? right? And mm-hmm. so. It's not like you ha- like like Islam is very Middle Eastern. It's mm-hmm. very it's very centered on um, you know Saudi Arabia. I mean, in you a can sense. only pray in one language, right? Yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. very centered on a particular culture, a particular ideal. But Christianity goes forward in every culture, in every language, in every right. it, that that is a that is an amazing like idea of God, if you will, I, I don't even know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for there is, but that the way it goes forward is not that there, um, as you say, it's not that Jesus went as one human to every culture, or ethnic, but is that he goes through every kind of human mm-hmm. um, that has been dispersed all over the world, you kind of referenced yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now that dispersion is, is actually manifesting itself in Christ's followers. Mm-hmm. Um, that are displaying the image of God in a, in a really more more beautiful way uh, in in the diversity of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in in a sense, it sounds like you're saying that basically all Christians should embrace this kind of missionary, right. uh, you know, plan, this mm-hmm. strategy, this this like God has this missionary purpose in the world in a mm-hmm. sense, but but maybe not everybody is called to be. Uh, a missionary specifically um, and so you've been a missionary uh, you've been you spend a large portion of your life mm-hmm. uh, in Central Asia and so I'm curious wh- wh- how would you define what a missionary is mm-hmm. and maybe as that relates to like the call of every Christian mm-hmm. to care about this okay. so we really define it in terms of discipleship so a missionary is first and foremost a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus and that far is true of every believer. Hmm. Um, but it's where you do it, and a missionary is someone who does that where Jesus is not yet known. Hmm. Now, the, the missionary strategy, if you look, say, at the Apostle Paul and his strategy, you know, he makes this incredible statement in Romans when he says, from Jerusalem as far around as Illyricum, I have completed the gospel. Now, he had not shared the gospel with everyone, what he had done is planted churches, and churches are an essential component of the strategy. And so you are helping to fulfill the missionary strategy of God when you are a faithful member of a local church and you are actively evangelizing the area around you. Hmm. So that's, that's, if, if, if that isn't happening, then the whole strategy collapses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why he could go on to Spain, not because everybody had heard the gospel from him, those churches were there. So all of us are involved in that, both in terms of sharing the gospel where we are 
being an active, faithful member of a local church, and then in sending or going where Jesus isn't known yet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in a sense, Christ's covenant is participating in this yes. missionary strategy yes. of God as we are making disciples of our neighbors, as we're sharing the gospel with the teachers that our children go to school with. You know, not we're not in Saudi Arabia, but we are participating in the Great Commission. Right. But you are also saying that it shouldn't stop there. Like right. we, we have to be at simultaneously concerned that like the Siberian Tatar people have scripture in their language and a healthy church there That's as right. well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, 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 I, I was thinking about this last night. Paige and I were looking through the little like IMB map that y'all passed out yesterday. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Europe, and obviously we do, we do a lot of work in Europe. Europe really struck me, mm-hmm. if you all have looked at that map, of how few lights there yes. are there. Yes. And, and so it's interesting because it's, it's disciple-making in a place, as, how'd, you, how'd you say it again, where the gospel is not? Right. Or where Jesus is not yet known. Not yet known. It, there is a sense where there's some missionary work needed to be done in places where Jesus has once been known, Absolutely you know, correct. Mm-hmm. and yes. so I, I almost kind of see in, in a sense what we're doing now that mm-hmm. um, Atlanta used to be a city of many faithful gospel preaching churches and either those churches have preached another gospel mm-hmm. or those churches are no longer in existence. Right. Right. There's a few faith. I mean, there I'm saying, there's yeah, some left, but not many, at least particularly in the urban core of the city. Right. And so, um, and that is largely the case, even just much more dramatically in Europe. Uh, it's a place where the gospel was once known, mm-hmm. um, but is now no longer known. And the interesting thing is, if you look at the rest of the lights on the map, a lot of those lights, the, the work actually initiated in the now dark Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And yep. so it, it's just interesting how, you know, you talk about the both and I mean there there has to be a faithfulness to the word of the Lord to the mission of Christ um, both near and far um, where we end up just repeating the work that we've already accomplished Mm -hmm. what you think about it in the first century the center of global Christianity was the Middle East right exactly yeah it's virtually gone from there now right Uh, you really do have to consider the task in every generation we regard Europe as a mission field. Uh, we regard Europe as, in, in many cases, an unreached mission field. And part of that is that when we talk about fulfilling the Great Commission, we're not just talking about sharing the gospel, doing some hit-and-run evangelism, and then going on. Uh, we're talking about this whole missionary task, and the whole thing needs to be completed, and that involves entry and evangelism, disciple-making, planting churches, training leaders— to the point that they are doing that themselves. Right. And then together we can go on somewhere else. Uh, but it's not that you share the gospel and, okay, we fulfill the Great Commission there. Um, you have to make disciples. Disciples have to have churches to be discipled in. The churches need leaders, and they need the ability to train those leaders and to do all of those things themselves. So I think that's part of what's happened at points, maybe in our history, is that we haven't left behind faithful reproduction in the place where, we, where we've been, where they are carrying on all the tasks of a healthy church right. in their area. Mm. 
That's really interesting because in, in some sense, then you're kind of saying like, well, maybe we've done pretty good at sending people mm-hmm. who can share about the death, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus and things like that, but not necessarily all, not able to fill out, fulfill all aspects of that missionary task. Right. And so one thing that I thought was interesting that you said yesterday was that churches should be uh, missionary factories. Right. Um, basically these, these things, these institutions that are sending people out who can do all of those things from entering to sharing the gospel, to making disciples, to gathering disciples as, as a church and, and raising up leaders in those Mm -hmm. church to, to shepherd those churches, uh, into the future. And so how do we do that? (laughs) How do we become a missionary factory, Zane? Well, so much of it is simply creating a culture in which it's considered normal for people to go out. And a lot of that is addressing that purpose issue, the transformation mm-hmm. of purpose. Um, if everyone regards themselves as existing to the praise of his glory and to the fulfillment of his agenda, then it won't feel weird to people to think, well, I can do it here, I can do it in Atlanta, but you know, I could also do it in Angola. Mm-hmm. And there are fewer people in Angola who are doing that, so why don't I go there? Um, and also, as the church begins to send out people, it comes to feel more and more normal to the others in the church. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we evangelize here in Atlanta. Yes, we faithfully live out our discipleship in the neighborhoods and the jobs we have here. And just on a regular basis, God raises up from among us those who also go where the gospel really isn't yet. Mm-hmm. Some of it, I think, is is just becoming globally aware in a sense yes. <clears throat> and gospel globally aware. Mm-hmm. And I do think a lot of that has been kind of lost. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wait, did you grow up in a Baptist church? I did. Okay. So, I mean, did you grow up with RAs? I did. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, I've often thought Chris about Gunn. that. And <laughs> like a big part of how we used to disciple children in That's the right. local church was missions education. That's I mean, right. it wasn't just gospel education. It was it was missions education. And so I first learned geography in a sense. That's right. Along mm-hmm. with the missionary task. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I I, yes. I wouldn't have known like where any of these countries were outside of like the context of and there are you know a lot of lost people there too. You know, th- that kind of thing. Right. And so I just think um, and even my own children, to be honest, I mean, and, and I, I, th- I would think of my children as being somewhat, you know, hopefully well discipled and, and somewhat globally aware. But we don't, you know, in some of its scheduling, I mean, it, it's just the nature of I don't think we're unique in terms of churches in this regard. That that is a missing piece, I think, is is that missions discipleship in the local church context. And I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself. I'm not saying you should fix this for us. Because I'm the pastor, you know, but I mean, um, but I think that, you know, it's interesting you told me that, you know, the IMB is in a unique situation where we have more money to send than we have people to go. Is this the effect of like getting rid of midweek programs, you know, 25 years ago? that's now like trickling out. I mean, uh, uh, you know, and I think there's some other, you know, there, there wasn't things like the cross conference and things like that 25 years ago, but I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to put together, like, how do we do this work? Uh, You know, we, we talk about this all the time, like going from great commission 
uh, or going from gospel aware to great commission aware, mm-hmm. and then going from great commission aware to great commission engaged. Mm-hmm. How, so anyway, I don't know. I mean, well, how would you advise me as a pastor? I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I started missions education as a preschooler, and just mm-hmm. all the way growing up, it was part of what it meant to be in the church was to learn about missions. Um, because by and large, those programs have fallen out of use, I think what we have to do is, is consciously weave it into the normal life of the church anyway. And so what I encourage is, you know, every time you meet as a church, pray for the nations. Uh, whenever you run into a reference to the nations in the text, include missions right. in your sermon. Um, have, you know, small groups adopt missionaries. Um, I even encourage um, a healthy knowledge of geography, mm-hmm. which you're right, is totally missing from the American educational system. So I think every Christian should have a world map up on the wall, and they should study it, and they should listen to world news, which means they don't listen to an American news source. Um, they listen to a real news source, like BBC, and, uh, and then find, okay, where is Djibouti? <laughs> you know, where, where is Burundi? Um, where is Tajikistan? on the map and pray for it. And if people start getting in those kinds of habits, then it makes it part of the conversation in the church and in the family in ways that it hasn't for a while. And, and to imagine yourself doing life and ministry in that context doesn't seem as odd if you've been right. thinking about it, praying about it for, mm-hmm. you know, years. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. I mean, I'm even just thinking through like Baptist history, at least it was a map in a sense that kind of started this whole modern yes, missionary movement, right? Yes, you know, and so I think the visual of seeing, okay, here's India um, or Hindustan or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it was called, you know, and here's a potentially, I don't know the number was at that point, 100 million people that don't know the Lord. Th- there is some, there is a calling in that. Yes. That's um, it, hard. It, as long as you, you have to keep looking at it, mm-hmm. it's, it, it'll, it'll, it'll eventually gnaw at you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, there's a guy named William Carey who was a pastor in England in the 18th century. And in England in the 18th century, if you weren't in the Church of England, you couldn't go to college. Um, you, he was entirely self-educated because he was a pastor of a Baptist church. But he was a, just a, a, he had a hunger for knowledge. And he actually created his own map of the world. Um, when there weren't, you couldn't, you know, ride away to National Geographic and get one in those days. And um, he also collected as much information as he could about the world, and that stood alongside Scripture is what fueled his sense of call. Hmm. And, and just, by the way, speaking of sense of call, one of the things that concerns me is, I think, in our evangelical subculture, we have somehow developed this idea that you become a missionary if you have an extraordinary, dramatic, supernatural calling from God that parallels in some ways the calling of the Apostle Paul. But for Kerry, it was, here's the word, here's the world, whoa, I'm going to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the way he categorized the map was, here's where all the saved people, it's like your log illustration, here's where all the saved people are, here's where all the lost people are. Um, you know, I, I, Kerry didn't write this, but Pierce, who, you know, I've done a lot of work, wrote this, you know, he says there's 50,000 inhabitants in Birmingham and England. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I can't remember the number, but he said there's 50 churches that mm-hmm. preach the gospel. Right. 
he said, now here in, you know, Hindustan, there's, um, a hundred times that many inhabitants and not one church. And right. so he just, it wasn't like you said, this dramatic thing. It was more like math. Mm-hmm. It was more just like a math problem. But you took math at Auburn. I did take math. Yeah, I did take it. That is a true story. I, yeah. There is a class at Auburn University <laughs> called math that you can take. And, uh, and I took it and it was awesome. Yeah. So I've taken math. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, we should yeah. be encouraging well, a little bit of missions education in that yeah, math Yeah, class. yeah, yeah. I, I thought I was just getting an easy credit, but hmm. I was wow. being trained for the Great Commission. Wow. Well, and just a word to War Eagle. such yeah, <laughs> to such resources. We do have some of those maps that you were referencing earlier that you and Paige were looking at and praying for that the IMBs provided of just kind of visually giving us a picture of where is the darkness in the world in terms of like the light of the gospel and where is the light of the gospel already so would encourage mm-hmm. anyone to get one of those yeah. we've got them at the collective mm-hmm. um and and we are such just visual i mean we have eyes like god right. made us with eyes yes and so think like, it's easy to not think about things that you don't see every day right um and so a tool like that is really helpful by um, the way my own calling was much like carrie's it wasn't that i had this dramatic experience it's that someone exposed me to the reality of the world and i just sort of went well, what else would I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that actually relates to a question we received from the text to pastor line. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a good question. If we are all to consider being sent out, how do you know when it's time to leave a thriving ministry where we are currently serving? One of the things to keep in mind is that a decision like this should never be made unilaterally. Uh, it concerns us as, as an agency when someone comes to us and we discover that they haven't really talked much to their church about it. Um, just as it is the body of Christ that discerns gifting, the body of Christ also helps people to discern calling. Mm-hmm. And so we believe that these, this is a decision that should always be made in a corporate setting with full advice and counsel from the rest of the body of Christ. Hmm. There are obviously some questions you can ask. There, there are factors that might mean you can't go uh, the, or that you can't go for this season and need to be here or simply that you need to be here. I mean, if, if all of the mission sending pastors left, we'd be in trouble. Mm-hmm. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it really is an individual thing. I think the, trend, the, the, the transformation that needs to happen is for people to stop thinking it's really rare and only really weird people do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to, that's a great transition also to something you said yesterday. Um, you said that we need just about everybody yeah. to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and so how do, tr- how do Christians participate even as, as non-traditional missionaries? Okay. Well, as I mentioned yesterday, um, most of the places that have the most people who've never heard the gospel are also places that don't give missionary visas. It means you can't walk up and say, I want to come into your country for the purpose of sharing the gospel. But most of them will take professionals of, of a broad variety of, 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 of kinds. So you can come and say, I want to be an engineer. And while you're there as an engineer, you share the gospel, just like you would here. Mm-hmm. It's just you're in a setting where there probably aren't many other ar- others around you doing that. And the same thing can be true, like I said, of, of any profession. Blue-collar jobs, by and large, don't fit in this category. 
most countries will not bring you in to do a blue collar job because that's taking jobs away from people in their own in their own country mm -hmm. uh, but professional jobs yeah pretty much any professional skill can be used in this way wow so what are some like practical ways of like how does someone someone says you know what i'm interested in mm -hmm. uh painting <laughs> uh like art not right you know, painting houses right um i'm interested in being an artist in another place uh mm -hmm. what's a good first step for me the first step we tell everybody is talk to your church and be as, as deeply engaged in your church as you can be so that you grow as a disciple in the context of your church. Hmm. Um, if you're not a healthy disciple, you're not going to be a good missionary. Mm -hmm. And you become a healthy disciple, not off by yourself, not even one-on-one, -on -one, although that's useful, mm -hmm. uh, but it's in the context of the fellowship of the church. So that's the very first thing we tell anybody. We, we also tell them in the process as part of a disciple, make sure that you are experienced and you are regularly engaged in sharing the gospel. Because if you're not doing it here, you're not going to suddenly start doing it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the questions we ask. We, we, we ask, okay, tell us about the last few times you shared the gospel. In fact, we actually ask people to keep a witnessing log while they're going through our process. We just want to see that this is a normal part of your life. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if it's not, <clears throat> there's no real point in sending you. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say don't be afraid to have one of those conversations. Like mm -hmm. if you say aloud, the Lord may be calling me to a different cultural context, we're not going to like tie you up and put you on an airplane immediately. It's, it's not like we're like, ah, we got you now. Like mm -hmm. I think it's okay to say that and 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 you don't need to be afraid to say that and just enter into that conversation it, it, it's good to say it aloud it's it, mm -hmm. it, you know i mean i'll be honest like i have those thoughts kind of i i'm very committed to christ kevin i want to be here forever but like i i i have like these little carry moments like where i'll be like i mean i've even thought like maybe i need to move to the the i don't even know how to say it the tatar people but uh good um like it's it's just i have these thoughts like okay if, if nobody's doing this like mm -hmm. maybe i should do it mm -hmm. um and then i maybe kind of go through the like why not and mm -hmm. you know but i will say this to the thriving mission the thriving ministry thing you know it was funny when i when i really felt the call to come to Christ's covenant the thing that i kept saying was well so much is happening here the lord's doing so much mm -hmm. here the valley was very much a thriving place at that time and still is mm -hmm. today and uh, the Lord has really taken care of that church. And uh, but anyway, I I would say that I would say, well, you know, I'm here. It's such a huge stewardship. It's such a big responsibility. But what I recognized, I was preaching through Acts. What I recognized is Paul never left a city that the ministry wasn't thriving. Mm. You know, it mm. was always thriving. He was always useful. Uh, and actually, that was like when it was time to move on. And so, just because you're a thriving like. If, if, if you're a skilled worker, if you're a good disciple maker, uh, if, you know, you're faithful to the Lord, like chances are your ministry is going to be thriving, you know, and, and, but that doesn't, that really doesn't have a lot to do with what your calling is, yeah, I would say, because, because you may be in a area of thriving ministry and the Lord's asking you to go do something else. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, along with that, let me add, anyone in any ministry needs to be raising up other leaders. Mm -hmm because you don't know when you're gonna be taken out. Yeah. So 
that's part of a thriving ministry is the Lord could choose to call you somewhere else or call you home. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to be working toward that ministry continuing without you. Yeah. So that, I think that, that helps as well, have that mindset. That's, that's really good. And it even relates to my final question um, of what are some things that hinder faithfulness to the Great Commission? And, and, and on the positive, more positive side, how can, then can we cultivate a desire to see the gospel go to all nations? But the, our own perceived indispensability, um, I think, is one thing. I know I could feel like who's going to talk about missions at Christ's covenant if Jeremy's not here. And it's like, no, that's, you shouldn't be thinking that way. You should be thinking always, who are we raising up and disciple? I mean, that's the whole point of discipleship. (laughs) Um, Who are we raising up and teaching and training Mm -hmm. to lead others, to Mm -hmm. be faithful to God's word. And, and then always be looking around to where there's the greatest need that I'm gifted for and move towards that. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and so just that, one answer I would give to that question is our own perceived indispensability, yeah. um, which is a word you used yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are some other things that hinder our faithfulness to the Great Commission? Well, I would say one of the biggest that I see is is actually a form of um, blending biblical Christianity with our own culture uh, that says, I am prepared to be transformed in these areas, but not in the purpose of my life. And so it's people who, it, it's, it's the American dream and salvation through Jesus. Hmm. And that often breeds a, a spirit of entitlement. Um, we see that all around us in our culture, of people thinking, I have a right to live in a comfortable house. I have a right to drive a nice car. I have a, a, a right to have a well-paying job. Or even I have a right to be healthy and to not be in danger. And the fact is, of course, as Christians, we don't have the rights to any of those things. Uh, we gave up all of our rights when we came to Christ. In fact, we died, yeah. and, and we are now new creatures in Christ. So th- that sort of spirit of entitlement that comes from allowing our cultural setting to define the parameters of our obedience to Jesus may be one of the biggest right there. And I would say that is an impediment both to overseas missions and to faithful church involvement here. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's who are you living for and what are you living for? Now, in addition to that, there, there are some things we typically see that will make it more difficult or sometimes even impossible for, for people to, uh, uh, to engage in missions. One of those is, is debt. And, and missionaries, you know, they take good care of us, but they don't pay us a whole lot. And um, if you have a lot of debt to pay off, then you probably can't handle it on, on a missionary salary. Another, just to be totally blunt, is porn. Hmm. Uh, right now, I mean, I'm in charge of the process for uh, assessing new missionaries, and slightly over 50% of all the guys who apply with us are delayed because of recent ongoing use of porn. Hmm. And we won't send you unless you can honestly say to us that you have been free from it for a year. That slows people down right there. Um, health issues can keep people out and much of that is stuff you you simply can't help Uh, some of it is and so for instance our organization actually has weight standards that are very similar to the military's Hmm. Uh, we're self-insured and the ways that you keep health costs down are you don't drink well we already don't drink because we're Baptists you don't smoke and we don't smoke because it's unhealthy and you keep your weight under control so we require that 
So th and the other thing though, the one final thing I would add is being married to someone who doesn't share your sense of calling. Uh, we have learned the, the hard way that we do not send a couple if one spouse is dragging the other spouse along. I mean, it can be either one. But um, many times people have had a great resolve to go to the mission field and they haven't really talked that out mm -hmm. before they get married. And, um, and that's, that's prevented people from going. Mm -hmm. Behind all that, though, the attitudinal thing is, is the big thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, any final words or encouragement, Jason, just to our church, or Zane, uh, thanks for being with us. Mm -hmm. Anything to our church? Yeah, I mean, uh, Zane said it earlier, but a prayer that I would have for our church is that, the, that it would become a very normal thing for people to leave our context and to move to a different context that has a greater gospel need um, for the sake of the gospel. And I think as we start modeling that and people start seeing that, um, that's going to be good for our church. The, 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 the remainders of us that stay behind, it's going to be really good for us to see and be a part of that and pray for that. But it's also going to be really good for the cause of Christ globally. And so mm -hmm. that's a hope prayer. And um, I'm just grateful for you sowing those seeds mm -hmm. and I'm praying that some of them take root in, in the hearts of our folks and mm -hmm. that, uh, God does this great work. Mm -hmm. So this has been a weird season of history the last two years with a pandemic. One consequence of that has been uh, shutting down short-term mission trips. Um, we actually commissioned a study with the Barna group and they discovered that those who have been on short-term mission trips are twice as likely to become career missionaries and give four times as much money to missions. Hmm. So we're all eagerly looking forward to the time when that can resume. And um, that just helps give people a, a concrete vision. Again, we're visual people mm -hmm. um, of, of what it's like. People who thought, I could never survive over there. They get there and go, oh, this isn't so bad. Mm -hmm. um, or, oh, I can survive here, even mm -hmm. if it is kind of rough. Mm -hmm. um, but again, behind all of it is fundamentally what we are called to is to be disciples of Jesus. And going deep in that relationship with Christ puts you in the position that he can mobilize you and send you wherever he wants you to be. So uh, my final word would be go deep in your discipleship. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good final word. And this has been a great first Sermon Talk Back Live. And so thanks for being with us, uh, faithful crew who's here at The Collective, and, and thanks for listening. Um, it's been Jason, Zane, and Jeremy. Thanks for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talk Back podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.